Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 8. And this is what God's word says. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us and let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, and we will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to do evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. This is God's word. Uh, Father, we thank you for giving us this passage and for giving us your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding and that you would show us how this passage applies to our lives as followers of Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have ever seen uh, the Hobbit movie series or if you've ever read through the book, um, you know the, the story is it's about this, this group of dwarves, a wizard and a hobbit. And the dwarves, uh, they, they want to go and reclaim their homeland. They have the, the one who is the heir to the dwarven throne, Thorin Oakenshield, who is one of their, one of their leaders. And uh, so they, um, they come to the Shire and they need a, a, a burglar, someone who can sneak into uh, their, their mountain fortress unnoticed and collect the Arkenstone, the king's jewel. Um, and so they, uh, they conscript a hobbit because hobbits are small and, and uh, you know, you, uh, they might go unnoticed as they're sneaking in. And the reason that the elves are, are, uh, have left their home is because there's an evil dragon by the name of Smaug, who has taken over their, their homeland. And so the story of the Hobbit is these dwarves going to take back their, their homeland. And, along, and so it's kind of this, this journey. And so they set out from the Shire. And uh, along the way, you see this, this merry band of travelers. They come upon a forest. And the forest has this, this dark eerie vibe to it. It's, it's almost like it's kind of got this evil, uh, this evil darkness that kind of shrouds it. And the, they're given instruction, do not stray from the path, because if you stray from the path, you will be lost. And so the traveling party, they go in and they start off on the path but as you can imagine, if you haven't seen it or if you have seen it, eventually they stray off the path and they get lost and they all become confused. 
Now, those of you who know the story, you know that they find their way out and it's not the, the end of the book right there. And tonight's passage uh, is, is a little bit like the instructions given to that traveling party. It's instruction from a father to a son saying, do not stray from the path of my teaching. Do not stray from the path of your mother's instruction. And this is really kind of what the, one of the main themes that runs through the book of Proverbs. There's really two pathways, two ways of living that are presented in the book of Proverbs. The way of foolishness and the way of wisdom. One person who was commenting on the book of Proverbs, he says this. He says, Proverbs, it doesn't give us an encyclopedia of do's and don'ts, of rights and wrongs, but rather what Proverbs gives us is two worldviews, wisdom and foolishness. Here in the book of Proverbs, we find two ways of living. The way of the wise, which gets its direction from the truth of God, and the way of the fool, which gets its direction from human perspectives and human desires. Okay, hear hear this. The two ways of living, the way of the wise and the way of the fool, are distinguished by where they receive direction from. The way of the wise is directed by God and his word. The way of the fool is directed by human or worldly perspectives and by sinful desires, by the desires, by the sinful desires of the human heart. And this is what distinguishes the path of the wise from the path of the fool. And so to give us some context here, uh, we, if you guys were here last week, um, you know that we talked about the first seven verses, which uh, is really Solomon kind of trying to lay a foundation of, of wisdom. If you, if you uh, follow these instructions, you will acquire biblical wisdom. And we said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And we also said that knowledge and wisdom, a lot of times throughout Proverbs, are used interchangeably. So you could actually say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Does anyone remember what, how we defined the fear of the Lord? Any, anything you remember from last week? It's okay if you don't remember anything. Clearly, I can't remember anything about roots, so it's okay. I said Ruth. Oh, Ruth, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we talked about the fear of the Lord, and we said that there's, there's kind of two components to it. One, it's having a right perspective of God, that God is God, that he is sovereign, that he is almighty, that he's powerful. But it's also having a right relationship with God. The fear of the Lord encompasses both of those things, seeing God for who he really is and also having a relationship with him. And so those two elements uh, encompass um, our definition of the fear of the Lord uh, for what we talked about this last week. And so in this section, um, Solomon, speaking to his son, he moves into the realm of actually uh, what we might call friends, So he's giving some wise instruction to his son about what sort of friends his son should hang out with, or in this case, not hang out with, right? And the description of these friends here is it's actually, most commentators recognize this as almost like a gang. 
So if you can kind of picture in your mind uh, like uh, whatever gang movie comes to mind and the activities that are involved with that, you can kind of picture it's, it's a, a group of people that are in this, in this uh, section that are called sinners. Now, that, when you hear that, you're like, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say that everybody's a sinner? Like, doesn't it say we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Like, uh, how can I, I couldn't hang out with myself, right? Because I'm a sinner. And so what you need to know, though, is that the, the noun that's used there in verse 10, sinners, it, it's not uh, describing someone uh, like you and me who have, uh, at least I hope you have, repented of your sins and devoted your life to Christ, but rather it's describing someone who has a chronic perpetual uh, giving over, giving themselves over to sin, okay? So it's this idea of someone who is actually on the path of foolishness and loves being there, okay? So that's the idea here. It's not, uh, he's not saying that sinners in general you shouldn't hang out with because that would mean you couldn't hang out with anyone in this room and you couldn't hang out with yourself, right? So that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that don't make your primary friend group people who are opposed to God. Do not make your primary friend group people who are on the path of foolishness. Now, what he's not saying here is he's not saying never make friends with people who don't know Jesus because we know elsewhere that Jesus himself commands us to go and preach the gospel. And one of the the wonderful doorways that we have to preach the gospel to people is through the bond of relationship. And so he's not saying don't make friends with people who aren't aren't followers of, of God, but what he is saying is don't make your primary friend group, the people that you spend the majority of the amount of your time with, do not let those people be unbelievers. Because if you do that, their habits will become your habits. Question? Um, more of like a comment. Yeah. Because in the Bible, there's like a verse that says like iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. And that very much relates to what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good observation. Um, and so friendship is one of the is one of the topics that's being discussed here and specifically choosing your friends wisely choosing who you hang out with with wisdom okay and so all of that to say uh, the main theme for tonight's message what i want you to hear and what i want you to take away is this is that um, there is beauty in pursuing wisdom and tragedy in pursuing sin. It's the main theme of this passage. Is there's beauty in pursuing wisdom, pursuing the, the wisdom of the word of God, and there's tragedy in pursuing sin. And we'll explain each of those as we go along. Um, but one more thing. So Paul, he gives some instruction to a young pastor named Timothy. And one of the things that he says to Timothy when he, uh, this is Paul's final letter, he's about to be executed. And the advice that he gives to Timothy is this. He says, uh, young, young man, flee youthful passions or lusts or desires and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And this is the key phrase here where he says, along with those who call on the Lord, 
from a pure heart. Did you catch that? So he's giving his parting instructions to them. He says, the kind of friends that you want to have the maximum amount of input in your life are ones who call on the Lord, that is, ones who have a relationship with the Lord from a pure heart, those that have been born again, those that are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who your primary friend group should be. And so... With all of that said, and, and recognizing that there's these two groups, the, the wise and the, the unwise, um, we want to ask the question, what does it look like, according to this passage, to pursue wisdom, to pursue the beauty of wisdom? And there's three things that this passage teaches us, okay? So the first is that we should receive the instruction of wisdom. We should receive the instruction of wisdom, Second, we should reject the temptation of sinners. And third, we should remember the devastation of sin. Receive the instruction of wisdom, reject the temptation of sinners, and remember the devastation of sin. Okay, let's talk about that first one for a minute, where he says, receive the instruction of wisdom. Here, look at verse 8. He says, hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Okay? And then he gives the reason. He says, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So what he's saying there in verse 9 is like not many of us wear a, a, a wreath on our heads, right? But that's the image. It's, it's you know, kind of a wreath on your head and a very nice necklace for around your neck. Why is he saying that? He's saying that if you hear my instruction and you don't forsake your mother's teaching, if you hear the wisdom of the word of God and you don't forsake it, there's beauty in that. Why is there beauty in that? Because that is how God has designed for you to live. God's ultimate design and desire for you as his children is to walk in wisdom. Why? Because God is in himself the standard of wisdom. So if you walk in wisdom, that means that you are seeking to be like and to walk in a manner that is consistent with God's character. Okay? So that's the beauty element. The reason that walking in wisdom is beautiful is because when you walk in wisdom, you are asking the question for you know, all intents and purposes, what would Jesus do? Because Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. He is the incarnation of wisdom. And so you would ask the question, what, is it, what, what does Jesus do? What would Jesus do? in every situation of your lives. And when you respond in a way that is consistent with the character of Jesus, you respond in a way that is beautiful because you're living according to God's design. And what's interesting here, actually, about the word here in verse 8 is when you read that, you think, okay, that means listen, right? But the Hebrew word here can can also be translated obey, depending on the context. And so what he's saying is not simply hear the, the words and then you know, let them go in one ear and out the other, but rather hear them, comprehend them, so that you may obey them. 
okay? So the, if you think of it like a coin, this word here, hearing and obeying are two sides of the same coin when you're talking about it, this particular word. And there is, there is a difference between hearing and actually listening, right? I've experienced this in my own life. Um, my wife will be saying something to me and I hear the words that are coming out of her mouth, but I don't comprehend them. And so she'll say a whole sentence and I'll be like, what did you say? I was, I don't know, I can be like looking at her and not comprehending. She loves it when I do that. (laughs) She doesn't, she doesn't like it, right? And you guys have probably experienced this yourself, right? You're at home and your, uh, your mom is saying, hey, can you take out the trash? And what you actually heard was, Keep doing what you're doing. Play that video game. <laughs> go, 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 right? You're not actually hearing. You're not actually listening, right? Because what's, what's uh, implied in the command to take out the trash from your mother is that not only that you'll hear it, but that you'll also obey the command and you'll take out the trash. Um, and so what, what separates mere hearing from actually listening is a comprehension and a response. So comprehending the information and then responding to it. And that is the call of the father to the son in this particular proverb. Solomon saying to his son, hear and obey my instruction because when you do that, you will be wise. You will live a life that is beautiful and beautifully in accordance with God's design and desire for your life. And so Solomon, he's calling his son, and also the book of Proverbs is one of the, actually it's the only book in the Bible that directly addresses youth, which is part of the reason why I chose the book in the beginning. If you look at verse, uh, let's see here. Verse 4, it says to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth, right? And so Solomon, he's, he's calling his son and all youth in the nation of Israel and us by extension, you know, several thousand years later reading this, uh, to receive the instruction of the wisdom of God's word, to receive it and respond with the uh, actions of obedience. Because this is how you live a beautiful life, a life that is in accordance with God's design. So as you think about your own life and you think about the various commands that are given to you through maybe through your parents or but specifically I want you to think about the various commands that you see given to you in scripture do you receive hear and obey or do you merely hear the words and then they go in one ear and out the other think about your life as you think about the different things that God calls you to do, the different commandments that he's given to you, and ask yourself, does the way that I live my life actually show that I am listening to God? That I am listening to the way that he wants me to live? Or does it show that I'm not actually hearing him? 
that are not actually listening to what God has to say. And the truth of the matter is, is that more often than not, if you have any amount of uh, self-reflection, even if you reflect on the last 24 hours, you will notice that you don't do this. You notice, uh, I can think about my own life in the last 24 hours, and I'll recognize I do not do this very well. There are a myriad of ways that you and I fall short of actually hearing God, actually receiving his instruction. And this is why Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come and live a perfectly sinless life. What is that? Obedience to the Father's will. Jesus came and lived the beautiful life of wisdom and obedience to the will of God because he knew that me and Jack, that we would mess it up. He knew that all of us would blow it. And so God in his grace sent his one and only son to live a beautifully wise life, living in accordance with God's will, word, and the wisdom contained in God's word because he knew that you and I could not. But not only that, Jesus also died on the cross, bearing the penalty for the times when we don't listen, for the times when we fail to obey God. And he rose again to prove to you and to me, to our hearts, that if we will turn from our sins and offer our lives to Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven of all of our foolishness. And Jesus, when we do that, when we give our lives to him, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And not only that, he also, through the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to help us live a wise and beautiful life according to God's design. And so the first thing that we see is that God calls us to receive his instruction. And the next thing that we see is we see that he says, reject the temptation of sinners. Look at verse 10 for just a minute there, where he says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Now the word consent there, you can also translate it yield, right? Kind of it's got that, yeah, don't yield, don't give in, right? If they try and, and tempt you, do not yield. Stand your ground. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them, but hold back your foot from their paths. And so Solomon calls his son, and by extension, all who read the book of Proverbs, to reject the temptation of those who are on the path of foolishness. And make no mistake, there is real temptation that is offered. Look with me for just a minute where he says uh, in verse 13, we shall find all precious goods, okay? This is the temptation of the people that are on the path of foolishness. In other words, if you come along with us, you'll get good stuff. If you come along with us, you will get money, right? Uh, We shall fill our houses with plunder. 
Verse 14, we will all have one purse. In other words, if you, if you throw your lot in with us and you uh, join the gang, as it were, we'll take from other people. We'll take the stuff that other people have and then we'll share it amongst ourselves, right? So there, there's a temptation here where the, the people that are on the path of foolishness are saying, if you hang out with us, you will get goods. You will get something out of it. And so there's this uh, temptation uh, that is offered to the, the person who is seeking to live according to God's design to get um, good things the wrong way. And oftentimes, this is actually how uh, temptation really works. We'll talk about that more um, in a minute. But essentially, what the temptation boils down to is this. Uh, it, they're saying, if you come along with us, you will, get, you will get rich, but it will be at the expense of other people. And so it would be like uh, if I were to say to Luke, Luke, if you come with me, you can have all of the money that you want, but we have to go rob a bank first. Like, essentially, that's like, well, you can have it all. You can have any, everything that you want, but we, we got to go get it first, right? And so that's kind of, kind of the idea. It's, money is a temptation, right? Uh, why, is money, why does money cause temptation for us? Because money buys stuff. Money buys, you know, video game systems, cars, uh, whatever else, you know, your uh, sinful hearts might desire and my sinful heart might desire. Money uh, is uh, the love of money, it says in the New Testament, is the root of all evil. And so in this section here, essentially what, what this loving father is trying to do is he's saying, Reject the temptation. Don't give in to the temptation of these sinners. And the interesting thing is that more often than not, when temptation strikes, think about the various things that you're tempted with in your own life. But more often than not, when temptation strikes, what is being offered to us is seemingly a good thing, but acquired in a wrong way. Is seemingly a good thing, but offered to us at the wrong time and in the wrong way. Think about um, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, okay? So Jesus says, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you all, I'll give you power over all the nations, right? But what, what Satan uh, was trying to do is he's trying to offer something that Jesus already was going to get after he finished his work, but he was offering it at the wrong time and in the wrong way. Not before Christ had suffered and not, uh, not through the worship of Satan. That was not how Jesus was going to acquire the nations. Instead, Jesus was going to go to Calvary, spill his blood and purchase all of the nations and then tell us as his church, they're all mine, go get them. And so we see that oftentimes, this is how Satan works with his temptations, is he will offer something that's seemingly good, but in the wrong way at the wrong 
time. Think about, this is one that's a little awkward to talk about, but we're going to do it anyway. Think about sex, okay? And uh, hang with me. Okay, think about sex. Uh, it is a good gift that God created with very specific parameters. One man, one woman, one marriage, one lifetime, okay? But the culture wants to take this good gift that God created and has said, you don't need to wait till you're married. You do it whenever you want. You don't, it doesn't need to, between, need to be between a man and a woman. You, you do whatever you want, right? The point is this, is that sex is something that God created and is a good gift in the right context, okay? But what Satan does and what our culture does under the influence of Satan is it offers a good gift of God at the wrong time and in the wrong way. So as you think about your own life and you think about the various areas that you are tempted, what are some areas that you see yourself not rejecting the temptation of sinners? What are some areas, this is just what I want you guys to wrestle with this next week. It may not be apparent to you in this moment, but there are ways that you are tempted either by your friends, your own sinful desires, or by Satan himself to pursue something, maybe it may even be a good thing, but in the wrong way and at the wrong time. Think about that this week as you are meditating on this passage. And the reality is, is that more often than not, when we are faced with temptation, it seems as though we just give in right away. But the truth is, is that we don't have to. We have been given God's Holy Spirit. This is why in Romans 8, when uh, Paul is talking about putting sin to death, that is uh, exercising God-enabled self-control and saying no to yourself, Paul says that you do this by the Holy Spirit. It's not in your own power. It's not uh, in some sort of strength that you can muster up yourself, but it's as you recognize who you are in Christ that the power of sin has been broken in your life. You are no longer a slave to sin. Did you guys know that? You are no longer a slave to sin, to the desires of of you, to the sinful desires of your heart. You have been set free in Christ. In fact, that was part of the reason why Jesus came. He came, it says in 1 John, to destroy the works of the devil. To, to release the captives, Jesus said. And so... As you're thinking about this passage, I want you guys to to get real with yourself and ask, where are some areas where I need to start rejecting temptation? And then when you do that, ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to help you in the moment of temptation, to recognize when you're being tempted, and to also to really genuinely believe who you are in Christ, that you have been set free.
So rejecting the temptation uh, of sinners. And then thirdly, remember the devastation of sin. Okay? So receive the instruction of wisdom, reject the temptation of sinners, and finally, remember the devastation of sin. Look at verses 18 and 19 for just a minute when it says this, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of the possessor. And so Solomon finishes this little section that we are, that we are looking at uh, by telling his son to consider the destruction that comes upon those who are greedy and who try to acquire a good thing at the wrong time and in the wrong way. And what is this destruction? It's that they actually destroy themselves. The path of the fool ends in ruin. And the real tragedy of sin, as we said, we said that the path of sin, pursuing sin, is tragic at the beginning. The tragedy of sin is that it's self-destructive. Not only does sin grieve God's heart and hurt other people, but ultimately, if we do not turn from sin... Sin will be what destroys us. Because the only thing that keeps you out of heaven is unforgiven sin. The only thing that keeps you out of heaven is unforgiven sin. And so if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. The judgment has passed over you. God will not condemn you if you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you believe the gospel, you have passed from judgment into uh, the family of God. You are now part of God's family. And God, uh, Jesus says in John 6, he says that anyone who comes to me, I will never cast them out. But the prerequisite of that is you have to come to Jesus. And coming to Jesus requires that you admit that you are a sinner, that you admit that you have fallen short of God's standards, requires that you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead, and it requires that you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. It's called the ABCs of the gospel. Admit you're a sinner, believe that Christ died for you and that God raised him from the dead and confess or profess the Lord Jesus as king of your life. And when you do that, you are saved from the self-destructive nature of sin. And so these people, these sinners that are mentioned in this section ultimately destroy themselves. Did you catch that? It says they lie in wait. So verse, uh, if you look at verse 11, there's kind of a dramatic reversal here that's pretty cool. He says, come, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. And then if you move down to verse 18, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. And uh, verse 17 is really interesting because it says, in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird. It's kind of like a, a little um, 
a little illustration that Solomon is giving. He's, he's essentially saying, if you want to trap a wild animal, you don't set up the trap in front of them, right? If you're hunting, it's probably a bad idea to set up the trap where uh, the animal that you're seeking can, can watch you do it, right? They're not going to go there. And so you wouldn't set up a trap in full view of the thing that you're trying to hunt, but you would wait until you can't see. And so what he's saying here is that people like this who are on the path of foolishness, it's so foolish to continue the way that they are. It's like setting up a, a snare or a trap in full view of the thing that you're trying to catch. And then he doubles down on the foolishness of it and he says that ultimately these people will destroy themselves. I was, uh, some of you may know this, but I was, I was homeschooled as a kid. Any homeschoolers in the room? Woo! Homeschoolers, uh, you are my tribe. Um, <laughs> but uh, you're all my tribe. Um, but uh, I remember this instance. I was probably in maybe late elementary, early middle school. But um, so I used to do my school in the front end of the house. And then at the very back end of the house, we had a, a family room that had these big glass windows. Okay. And uh, I was in the front room and I hear this bong. I'm like, oh, what was that? So I wait a couple minutes. I don't hear it again. I get up and I go look out on the patio and, then, and look through the window. There's nothing there. So I go, you know, go back to my school. And then I hear bong. And then I'm like, eh, there was nothing there last time. It's fine. A couple minutes later, bong. And so I, finally I get up and I go and look. And there's a dead bird sitting on the porch. The poor, the poor thing had uh, knocked his little brains loose by trying to ram his way through the window. And he killed himself by continuing. <laughs> it's messed up that you're laughing at this. Oh, okay, okay, cool. I thought Zach's like, he's dead bird. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but. <laughs> And so it was, it was this really sad thing because as this bird persisted in the pathway of trying to get through the window, he wound up destroying himself. And that is what it is like when you continue to pursue sin. Sin brings destruction. Sin brings devastation. And so the, the final words of this section to, from this loving father to his son is he says this, remember the devastation of sin. Remember that those who continue down this path will ultimately come to ruin. So as you think about your own lives and when you think about this, this passage Here's my, my recommendation for you. Um, take some time to consider the outcome if you continue in whatever sin you struggle with. Take some time and think about it. Walk it to its logical conclusion. What happens if I don't repent from this sin? What happens if I continue to give myself over to it? Now, if you're a Christian and you have a besetting sin, you are forgiven in Christ. I'm not, not disputing that. But there are always consequences 
to our decisions. There are always consequences to our decisions. God, in his loving kindness and faithfulness, oftentimes he'll allow us to continue in a sin for a season. But eventually, as a loving father, he will bring discipline. He will bring correction because it is his desire for you not to be ultimately destroyed in hell, but rather that you would come to repentance and that you would turn from the path of foolishness in whatever area of struggle is going on. And the the interesting thing is, is for us who are believers, a lot of times it can be really tempting for us to look at the, the seemingly carefree lives of sinners, right? Sinners in the sense of this passage, people who uh, don't walk in the ways of wisdom, who don't pursue Jesus, don't want to know, love, and follow him. It can be easy for us to look at their life and think, wow, they've got it pretty good. They don't have to say no to uh, temptation. They can just give in whenever they want, right? But here's the thing. This is what Psalm 73, there's, a, there's a, an author of a psalm named Asaph. And he has that perspective in Psalm 73. And he says, basically, I almost gave up on following God because it looked like all of the people who were walking in the way of foolishness were getting everything they wanted and their lives were happy. But then he says, but then I came into the presence of God. I came in to worship God. And I realized this. He says, surely you, speaking to God, have put them in slippery places. You bring them down to ruin. How desolate they become in a moment. Terrifying judgments make their demise complete. So ultimately, what lays at the end of the pathway of foolishness of the pursuit of sin is devastating, terrifying judgment of God. And that should make us pause as we think about our own sins. That should make us think, you know what? I don't want to go down that path. I want to pursue the path of wisdom. One, because if you're a Christian, you should recognize that whatever sin you struggle with, whatever sin I struggle with, Jesus had to die so that that sin could be forgiven. So why would we love that which Jesus had to die for so that we could receive forgiveness? And if you're not a Christian, you should recognize that the end of your pathway is ruin and destruction and a terrifying judgment from the living God. So this week, take some time to consider the devastating effect of sin. Think about whatever sin you struggle with and then take it to its logical conclusion. I'm going to take you to one passage real quick. Uh, Flip over to Romans chapter 6. Okay. Romans chapter 6, verse 
20 says this. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, uh, you were a slave of sin and you, uh, w- you didn't want to do that which God desires for you to do. Okay? But then in verse 21, he says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, what Paul is saying is, what is sin benefiting you? What's it giving you other than... Worldly things? Yeah. Things that aren't... It might, feel, it might be like, ooh, this, like, oh, I have all the stuff you want, but in the end, you don't actually have any solid ground and you're just sinking. Sure, good, good. Um, you're just piling things underneath you to try to... Good, good, good. Um, thank you. And, and that, that's true. Right? Like, what sin is getting you ultimately is stuff that perishes. And so, as you think about this this week, um, and as you're faced with various temptations, ask yourself, is this thing really worth it? Is it actually adding something of lasting, eternal value to my life? Or is it really just getting in the way of me really going hard after Jesus, me really enjoying Jesus. And so I'll close with this. We've been talking about, you know, the beauty of pursuing wisdom. And we said that the reason that pursuing wisdom is beautiful is because when we do that, we live according to God's desire and God's design for us as his image bearers and as his creation. And so what this passage ultimately tells us is that God God desires for us to continually seek the wisdom of his word and to grow in the application of that wisdom to every area of our lives. But the truth is, is that none of us is perfect yet. We're all still in the process. And this is why the gospel is such good news. Because we would like to think that we're wise. We would like to think that we've got it all together, but when in reality, a lot of times we blow it. A lot of times we fall short. And that's why it's such a good thing to be a Christian, because your Savior never failed. Jesus always perfectly lived wise, wisely and beautifully according to God's desire and design, because he knew that you and I would not, and he bore the penalty for the times that we fail. Let's pray.